0: All right, welcome to Interviews with Exceptional People. I'm excited today, Dr. Sam Prince is an incredible guy. Uh, He's a doctor, he's an entrepreneur, he's a philanthropist, he's a humanitarian. Um, His story really is incredible. Um, Sam founded, um, along with being a doctor obviously, he then founded uh, the Mexican franchise chain Zembrero which is, uh, was recognized as Australia's, one of Australia's fastest-growing businesses. And what I think is a really cool thing about Zimbrero is they have a mission to end world hunger through its Plate for Plate initiative. Uh, and that actually earned Sam the Australian of the Year for ACT in 2012. And now, he's not just about business. He's, um, he's also the chairman and founder of One Disease, which is a non-profit organization which aims to eliminate – is it crusted scabies, Sam? Yes, crusted scabies. From uh, thank you, I'm glad I got that right. From remote Indigenous communities in Austra- Australia, by 2022. So you know, big goals. And and I think something that I think is exciting, and particularly for doctors to hear about, is recently he founded Next Practice, which is a really uh, exciting doctor-centric initiative to transform to revolutionise primary healthcare. And uh, so we'll have a bit of a discussion about that. He's a great guy, he's a good friend, he's a guy who inspires me to be more, to do more, to contribute more, and I'm really thrilled to have him here, and for what I know, will be a very engaging conversation, and I'm sure anyone listening will find it extremely interesting. So welcome, Sam.
1: Thank you, Sam.
0: So, with, 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 with that intro, um, let's get into it. Um, firstly, Sam, I mean, let's, let's start with, you know, you as a doctor. Why did you choose the profession? Why did you choose to become a doctor in the first place?
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good question. Um, I think uh, I think we all said a certain thing to kind of get into medical school. I remember I went through the, uh, the interviews when I was kind of, you know, 16. And um, frankly, you know, there, was no, there were no doctors in the family. Um, the only concept I had of, what a doctor did was actually our own GP um, and so truthfully probably the reason why I became a doctor um, is because I was pretty good at school and I was brown and, and that's kind of where all the kind of kids ended up one day he woke up you know with all the the brown kids and went, hey what do you want to be I want to be a musician what the hell are you doing here you know it's kind of all woke up like that um, I think you know to, to again reconciling to my own reality I think that the thing that drew me there was probably the fact bit of the science and this sense that you could actually help. But pro- most down to our core, I think it was because, you know, growing up in a Sri Lankan family, there was such reverence from my mum to the family GP. Yep. Which, she was the person that we admired the most. And so um, we knew that, my sister and I both knew that, uh, that um, you know, doing things in, in in the medical field was something that, that the person that we looked up to most looked up to, and so it was probably a good thing. That was probably what got me in. Um, but later on, it changed. You know, later I, I fell in love um, with the adventure and discovery um, in medicine, and and also the advocacy piece. And I've kind of since then kind of um, cobbled together a, a career which uh, allows me to do both. But it's what what kind of kept me in medicine. And really, continue to inspire me was different to what 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 kind of brought
0: me to medicine. It's mm. so often the case. I think it's the case with so many people with getting into medicine, isn't it? I mean, at the age of sixteen, how how can you really expect to know what you want to do for the rest of your life? Um, you know, I, I was the same. I sort of I was good at school. Um, I, I wasn't brown, um, <laughs> but uh, but I was good at school, and and it was you know it was one of those things. I wanted to help people, but. Um, and I thought, well, medicine is a good place to do it. This is where you go if you you know, get good marks. And what's what I found interesting for me is the, the desire to help didn't change. It was more the desire the the vehicle for how to do that. And you know, and, and using entrepreneurship, using business um, to actually serve doctors was you know became the vehicle that I chose. And so it's interesting how if you sort of you, you can start on a path and and uh, you just sort of keep your eyes open you can kind of maybe see how that path weaves you towards, you know, where, where it is that you want to be. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, don't, I, I don't particularly feel uh, like it's, yeah. Now, now I look at, look at it, it's almost slightly embarrassing. But the truth is, um, I'm not quite sure 16-year-old or 15-year-old people are making, you know, well, i uh, you know really reconciled in my identity and for that reason I've decided to kind of, you know, become a brooding artist. I think, I think as a young man you're just trying to find kind of your place in the world. Yeah that's, yeah. that's kind of what one, one firm step towards medicine was that was it yeah. it's a, it's a vehicle, um, yeah. which really allows you to explore the world, but allows you to explore yourself, right? This is where yep. you kind of go a room where you're having to tell people that they're going to pass away. You're, you have to deal with a hell of a lot of uncertainty, pressure. It's a great vehicle to kind of, um, for me, it was a great vehicle to understand myself, I'm sure. We, we've talked mm. about this, right, so.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Sam, you mentioned your mother um, uh, as a reason you got into the profession, and in know we've had discussion. She's obviously been a very influential um, and inspiring person for you. Can can you tell us, you know, why why she is that um, person in your life?
1: Yeah, she's she's a she's the cycle breaker. I, I've been really obsessed with people who break cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not too hard to find an accountant who. Has a father who's an accountant. Who has a father who's an accountant. Who has a mother who's an accountant, You know, the, the, these cycles continue, and they're good. You know, good cycles that perpetuate. I'm really fascinated with people who are able to break bad cycles. Mm. Um, and so, this is definitely the tale of my mother. You know, working in paddy fields, kind of. You know, very poor. Her brother passed away because they couldn't afford healthcare. Um, sister passed away also, um, and. You know, and, and and for many years while she grew up, there was no household income at all, right? So fascinating to see how she could go to a village school with no walls, um, and she could pass um, Year Ten and be the only kid um, to pass Year Ten uh, in her entire village, and then um, and then go on to university, kind of unheard of, and then yeah. end up with a PhD in economics in the UK. Like right? she, she was. Um, her sister, my auntie, once said that when they were growing up um, in the village, there was this elephant, and um, all the kids dared uh, each other to kind of walk under the elephant. My mum, she's tiny um, and very young, she was the only person that basically uh, was able to kind of have the courage to walk under this elephant, um, and so she became famous for that, and, and I, I think that that's why I admire her, because probably two things. One is the courage to walk under an elephant, right, in a village, um, which really obviously was the thing that propelled her kind of beyond the village and into the UK and then onto Australia. And I think that yeah. I like to emulate that courage um, myself um, and, and honor it. And, and the second thing is, is just compassion, right? So her, her world is one where um, she defines compassion being able to love people who are difficult to love, right? And indeed, you know, there's a lot of characters in, in her life um, and uh, in her story, very difficult to love characters. But she's, she's got the ability to love them. So, yeah, absolutely. My sister and I, idealized really her. And so it was, it, was a, it was a very easy person to look up to. She's calm, intelligent, kind, um, and a lovely, lovely spirit. So that, that's why she's been uh, our, our rock for
0: yep. uh, what do you think made her different from the other kids in the, in the village? What do you think, what made her set her sights beyond um, just her current situation? Because, you know, I think so many of us, we set goals, uh, we set outcomes for our life based on our current experience. So, you know, we, we are limited by what we've experienced in the past as opposed to what's possible. Well, what, what was it that was different about her that made her um, live a life based on what was possible?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I think that, that's a that, that's a huge question. I think if you um if we could, if we could kind of distill it and and recreate it in almost a scientific lab, you could probably you probably understand the keys to entrepreneurship and, and many other kind of processes. I think that if if I had to guess from observation, I would say that um, she had a heavy dose of adversity um, as a young person. Um, you know, one thing that um, she was told she was not the eldest. Kid. And, and so basically in a farming family, what happens is all of the pool, the resources are pulled for the eldest and, and you kind of back the eldest and, and if, 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 you, if you're not the eldest, you just don't get any resources. So um, her father, my grandfather, once told her, you know I think that uh, your best chance in life is to, is to kind of have someone who comes around to the family house, and um and, and marries you, and then you can help out in the kitchen um, and, and and that would be a good life for you right mm. and, and she was told many times that she was of stature, she was too small to kind of um, to amount to anything to become a nurse even and <clears throat> and she belongs to that group that just believed that they were wrong, right mm. you have to believe that they were wrong yes. she, she, she graduated from the school of you know, we made it. Yeah. And so, and, and, and so obviously, I think a healthy dog of adversity was helpful. She was a bright kid as well. Sure. Um, and, and I think she clung to, clung to that as almost a. She was very bright, but it was also her ticket out of that world, right? Mm-hmm. And so she concentrated on it and worked hard at it. Um, why did she. I'm not, but I'm not quite sure why she could see a world. Um, you know, in the UK, in Australia, as an economist, you know, you know doing a PhD, you know, she, she's never seen any of that. Like, her, her, no one in the family went to university. Yeah. Like, it, it's <laughs> – so, so ha- how does that happen? Um, I, 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 have, I have no idea. It's a long okay. gone conclusion. Like, I watched her work hard, you know, uh, struggle and become educated, and so I kind of did the same thing. Yeah, uh, but she she's the she's the cycle breaker in our family. Amazing, and and and, and for me, uh, it's fascinating. I, I know we we've talked about you growing up and and and, and you seeing a, a relative kind of distance between you and and, and everyone. I up, that's not too sensitive to talk about. Um, but you know, I think there is there there needs to be some kind of force that pulls you forward, and I think adversity. Um, and
0: a challenge can kind of can do just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you, as we as we discuss, whether you've got that physically in your life or whether you create that in your own head. Um, but but the you know as human beings, we'll do more to avoid pain than we we'll do to you know than we will to gain pleasure. And as we as we've talked about, you know, rare is the entrepreneur who's 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 actually primary driver when they started out was. The pleasure side, It was often it's about how do you, you know, run away from something. But then as we've also talked about, if you don't then switch that at some point in your life, if you don't switch that to what am I moving towards or make the moving towards more of a driver, then it actually creates a very unhappy life, an unhappy existence.
1: Yeah, Frederick Douglass said, without struggle, there is no progress. And I think if you look at the great entrepreneurs right now on the planet, you look at the Bezos's, uh, the Musk's, Look at you know, in New Zealand kind of called Teal the New Zealander. Um, and and you know, in I don't Australia- know if
0: New Zealanders would call him a New Zealander, but anyway, <laughs> okay. I don't know if New Zealanders will claim him. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, you know, also here in Australia, if you look at I mean, I, probably classical entrepreneurial stories which have changed Australian landscape, probably Andrew Forrest and a few others. Um, you know, in his biography, um, uh, Andrew Forrest. It was said that his mother, you know, very openly talked about not wanting a, a kid and, and trying to force an abortion. Right. Right. You know, you, you know, good. So stuff like that. It's, it's you know, there's, there's, a, you don't have to look hard in entrepreneurial stories to find a lot of adversity, mm. um, feeling, feeling like an outsider, or or, or feeling um, some pain that that you can. Uh, convert into drive petrol, mm. uh, mm. that, can, that can mean that you can hang on, right? When everyone else is saying to kind of let go, you can hang on for a little bit longer. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think my, my mother had that. Mm.
0: I think I think it's very sim it's very similar for doctors as well. I mean, doctors and entrepreneurs have very you've know, got a lot of similarities. Look, Sam, obviously, you know, you you transitioned from being a pure doctor, um, and you moved into entrepreneurship into business. Um, can you tell us about that transition? Why 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 did you do that? Like what, what was it that prompted, you know, you to start out with zambreros and, 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 and what was it that prompted you to continue, you know, with your inter humanitarian and, and and philanthropy?
1: Yeah, medicine is a phenomenal field and also a phenomenal vehicle to, to really uh, understand yourself better. You understand, I guess, the limits of your uh, strength in uncertainty and uh, your compassion in times where it's freaking hard to find it, you know, all these things. And I felt that entrepreneurship was also a vehicle um, That was a great vehicle to kind of understand, um, understand yourself. Um, In this time, you know, capacity for endurance, um, a capacity to kind of walk forward when you you can't see anything ahead of you. Um, And and for me, you know, Steven Spielberg said that intuition whispers in your ear, it rarely yells. And when I read about, you know, the strong entrepreneurs around the world, and indeed i studied them, um, you know, I felt there was some species resonance I had with them, um, as I also found with, with doctors, right? And so... I explored the field when I was 21. Um, I had another intuition that was whispering in my ear when I was 21, which was there was no Mexican food in Australia. I was working in Mexican restaurants to pay my way through university. Um, and I started uh, my first restaurant while still a medical student. Um, and, and you know, that's now become 200 restaurants, right? So um, it, it's, it, it's, it is a great place to learn more about itself. Um, skills that I teach in medical school, like how to lead a team and, and point them in the right direction, and and, uh, and people management and, and 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 strategy, and all these kinds of things that you learn um, uh, in entrepreneurship. And so the transition for me was actually just like learning a new skill set, right? It was like yeah. being able to. Um, it was like you know being able to already fly a helicopter and then learning how to drive a motorbike, different kind of modes of transport. Mm. Um, and I think the doctors are uniquely skilled, I think almost selected for um, those kinds of entrepreneurial skills. And my definition of entrepreneurship is having an idea, breathing life into that idea and making it real, and having it adopted by other people. Um, and I think our systematic way of kind of approaching problems um, is, is, is well suited, I think, for that. Mm. So I've I, I got to indulge it.
2: Mm,
0: I, I'd agree. I think, you, you, and some, you know, we, we, you know, through med recruit we get a bunch of doctors who come saying, "Look, I actually want to do something different. I want to move out of medicine," um, because, again, you know, they, they, just decided that wasn't the vehicle they want to choose. And, and I see, I, I agree. I see the same thing. I, mean, I think what you've mentioned about doctors can make them successful in any field. And then you combine that with the work ethic that doctors clearly have. You know, we we just call a fourteen-hour day a long day. Let's not let's not over let's not overcook it. Um, you know <laughs> not every not everyone just you know can do a 14 hour day, you know, th- you know, for three days in a row. Um, and and so I think it does give people a unique opportunity. Look, Sam, obviously, you know, you, you went down this path with Zambrero, but now you're transitioning back into healthcare through next practice. Why why did you choose to come back to healthcare?
1: Yeah, so I mean so my um, history in a high level was San was a great vehicle to, to explore and understand the craft of entrepreneurship. Um, as I continued to explore and uh, understand and, and practice the craft of medicine, um, when, then went into aid work where we tried to pit out collective will at disease elimination um, and we were you know uh, joined by extraordinary people, including someone with the Nobel Prize and others who had uh, eliminated diseases before and, and we were were pretty successful at that. When I was, I was working pretty hard. And and, and at 32, um, I developed a cough, became very sick, um, had a chest x-ray, had a mass in the lung, and and that was, um, the music stopped for me, right? And my friends and family went, this is enough. You need to kind of slow down a bit. Um, And for a period of time, the, the diagnosis was seen to be cancer until the biopsy, which happened a little while later. Which confirmed uh, sarcoidosis and a a sigh of relief um, kind of uh, spread across the camp. But for me, in that month, um, it it was a real, it was a a soul searching period. It's when Zambrero uh, really um, galvanized its view about a billion meals by 2025 and and taking the war to hunger. But for me, it was also a place where I got um, up close and personal with the medical system. Um, and I felt there were many times that that my uh, family were relatively quiet, um, respectful people you know, our, our dignity was just tampered with you know constantly from being told that I uh, definitely had cancer in a waiting room full um, of other patients where the, the kind of prevailing emotion was kind of embarrassment. Um, <laughs> because there were so many people there, and I didn't even deserve the a, a, a room to be told this, um, all the way through uh, to kind of, you know, being, being yelled at, kind of going down the wrong direction, treatment, and so forth. But it, it kind of compelled me to kind of think, wow, the whole world is changing right now. You know, um, health and technology are kind of colliding together, and if one really understands the health system, not just that a kind of a, a concept as you know, a year 10 assignment about this is what a pathology company does and this is what a, you know, a, 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 um, a general practice, kind of how they function, uh, not, not at a simple level. This is what an electronic health record does. Actually really delve into it deeply um, and be able to even run a company so you know it that deeply. And then when you get to know the health system at that level, or at least try to, and then you reconcile to the reality that the world's kind of changed. Right. There's these things that have changed on this side, such as, you know, phones that are held by everybody these days. You know, there's other things like machine learning, there's obviously internet. And, and you think to yourself, wow, could we design this differently? Could we design it differently? Um, and whilst the technology was definitely one part of it, we had to assemble some great squads of engineers to help us design and build, um, Uh, our version of what we believe is the future of healthcare. Um, Really, it was was not that, it wasn't the technology. The thing that really inspired us was, can we actually just obsess about making the best general practice uh, experience on planet Earth, right? And and, and not only for patients, but also um, note that, you know, doctors are exquisitely kind of skilled at being advocates for patients, not get in their way, but um, kind of be ready to assist. Similar to, we talk about a sushi master is phenomenal at making sushi. Can you be a great sushi master's apprentice with the technology, just kind of be ready to assist. And and really the simple, simple um, spirit of it was to create the best general practice in the world. Um, And we obsessed about it. I spent a lot of time in in the US and overseas with my engineers and, and we actually you know, took back pieces and ideas and we started building for about four or five years. Um, and, that, and that kind of is uh, the story of Next Practice. And now we are actually inviting GPs who, are, who um, believe in what we believe uh, that general practice can be better uh, to actually uh, put their hands up and, 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 and say that.
2: Hey.
0: Mm. I mean, what I love about the Next Practice model is, you know, if you compare, you know, there are, there are companies that fo- are focusing purely on the technology side of things and making it a tech-driven sort of, you know, um, um, primary healthcare experience. And then, you know, if you look at the traditional companies right now, it's not so much the innovation side. They're, they're just trying to systemize the heck out of everything to the point where, you know, everyone is a cog and it's almost like, you know, how can you churn enough patients through what I like about the approach with Next Practice is, is, is how you've, sort of, you've taken a doctor-centric approach and, and rather than making it all about the tech, all about the systems, all about anything else, it's, it's how do you assemble the tools around this doctor so they can just be a good doctor. You know, how do you strip away the stuff that they don't like or they don't want to do um, so they can practice medicine um, and from that perspective, create an incredible um, you know, patient experience I mean, how how would you describe what is your what, what what's the vision that you have for primary for primary healthcare in Australia, and hopefully New Zealand at some point?
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, we would love to be back in New Zealand.
2: I'm a very uh, very warm part of my heart for New Zealand. And it's been a great place
1: for our for our businesses in the past. The the thing about it, in my in my view really what we can do is we can kind of reimagine everything. I mean, this is, this is a, um, a place where we actually produce our own music, right, at a beat per minute that is actually designed to kind of, you know, really slow down um, people's anxiety for having to go to a general practice. So we think about experience um, from a patient point of view, but we also think about the experience from a doctor's point of view, right? And one of the things I think we have a shared view on this is um, that it's it's tough being a doctor, right? And You're dealing with life and death, you're dealing with um, you know a, 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 a very compressed time period, and, and you're kind of allowed to make zero mistakes, right? Yeah. And so um, things like the care for care program that we've, we've implemented already in our clinics, um, whereby doctors can actually be in a round table and actually just have a um, completely uh, a candid discussion with peers and talk about, hey, look, this is a really difficult time for me because there's this tax problem that I, I've never even heard of, and now I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with financial duress. Or, hey, I, I did miss something with, with a with a patient of mine, and, and, and that's going to be a real problem. You know, things like that. So it's it's healthcare reimagined. It's a turnkey solution for doctors who want to run their own business and 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 really. You're right in the past, there was really two options for, for GPs. You could either work for a, a corporate um, and, and, and work work with them, um, where they definitely have sometimes a listed company that clearly the, the end goal is profit per quarter. That's yep. how all companies kind of worked. Or um, you could kind of go it out alone and, and you have to kind of, for the first time, work out how to deal with a five by five by five year lease. What that means, and a fit out contribution when dealing with the landlord, and then also, you know, what the hell's a bad statement in, in, in technology and also operations, things like that. Um, where we believe we can kind of do all of those things and have doctors actually run their own businesses, um, and do what they do really well.
2: Mm, mm.
0: well I like, I mean, we, I think we share the same philosophy in terms of how do you. How, how do you serve doctors and for me you know with my companies it's about how do you strip away the things the doctors don't want to do or aren't necessarily particularly good at you know um, and, and so they can just focus on doing what they what is they do love doing and what they're great at which is you know practicing medicine um, you know that, that's that's how my companies run I guess that's a similar sort of philosophy for next practice is, but, but you combine with that that patient experience don't you
1: Absolutely, and, and 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 so again, the driving kind of philosophy for us is I'm actually I've been through the system whereby I've had best practice, right? Like where you know everything that happened, you know, for a long part of the journey when I went through the hospital system, was best practice. And you know, I'm not I'm not interested in best practice anymore. I'm interested in next practice. What happens next, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think we can elevate ourselves to something beyond that. That's what. You know, when I was a um, a doctor growing up in Canberra, you know, we we worked with a guy called David Lamont, who was an emergency doctor. And you know, prior to working with him, I could hear on everybody's lips, right? Every every nurse that we came across in that hospital often would say, you know, as per protocol, as for protocol, as for, for protocol. You'd hear yeah. whispers all around the hospital. Yeah, and, you know, we did have um, you know the protocols do mitigate disasters and and it does help uh, actually give good health care. But sometimes I feel what you do is you you do install mediocrity, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm concerned with. When we worked with David Lamont, who was one of the best ED doctors I'd ever seen, no one cared about protocol. We obviously did that, but what we were looking to do is actually keep up with his excellence, right? Like if you're if you're in an ED department with David Lamont, then you know you have to go above and beyond, right? You have to think things through, right? You can't just rest on protocol. Mm. You have to do that too, but you have to then kind of elevate yourself. And We're from a country with, um, you know, with great doctors from the Flores to the Hollows, all and many of the people on our board at One Disease who are trying to eliminate trachoma. In uh, Hugh Taylor and and Frank Dowden, you know these these are the, these are the greats, right? Mm. And I, I like to, I'd like to think if I'm playing basketball um, with Dave Lamont or any of these kinds of NBA stars, I'd like to think that we could kind of elevate ourselves into what's coming next. Um, yeah. And that that's really our guiding principle.
0: Yeah. yeah. What's really interesting about that is how actually reflecting back uh, on your mother. And, and and that belief, you know, that, you know, we talked about, you know, people set outcomes for their lives based on what's in their life right now. Um, and, um, I mean, well, well, you know, that that's just, you know, our, essentially our model of the world is shaped by our experience And, and what that leads to in anything is evolution, like incremental improvements as um, you know how, how do you take something here and then make it you know just a little bit better make it a little bit better we can we end up going down a path um, which was not the, the case of your mother she didn't look at that and go well how can I just make an incremental improvement in my life she looked at how can I completely transform my life and that of my family uh, and future generations and so really interesting you know looking at how you're approaching um, next practice is not how do we just improve it's how do we reimagine. How do we do something different? How do we almost, you, know, you learn from the past, but also you, how do you start with a blank canvas and, and, and reimagine the future that's quite different and significantly improved?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, she's a huge inspiration. Um, you know, again, I mean, this is slightly off topic, but. Um, we, we were able to go back and from um, our winnings from, um, from the first business, um, we were able to do aid work um, in, in Sri Lanka, back into her, her village, um, back into places uh, like Gaul and, and, and places in the interior of Sri Lanka um, and in, in the conflict time. So it was a difficult time and we, we found a young girl just like my mum mm. and she topped her class just like my mum. And, um, but she lived effectively in a slum. And so mm-hmm. when we went there, um, my mother and I were, were, took great pride in saying to her, hey, look, we're, we're very honoured to be able to offer you a scholarship in school now. You know, you can you you can um, do whatever you want. So what do you want to do? And she said, you know, I, I want to be a bus ticket collector. And, you know, I had that feeling. I'm sure you have this feeling too, but it's this, feeling of, 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 you know, <laughs> how could, why bus ticket collector, you know, you've been told by a great economist that you could do whatever you want. How could that possibly be the pinnacle of kind of uh, what you see for yourself? But if you stood from her vantage point and looked out from the slum, you know, all you could see in the clearing was the main road, and there was a, this kind of bus that would pass by every once in a while. And, and the, the bus driver was a man, so she thought that she couldn't do that. You know, everyone uh, on that bus were wearing suits and things like that. And then there was this, um, this this young girl in this beautiful white dress collecting bus tickets. And so she thought that is the, the absolute pinnacle of what I could I, I could attain. And it was because she was able to see that. And so I think human beings do that, right? And I, I realized I, I had the same limitations on myself. You know, I was a I was born in Scotland, you know, raised in Canberra, and in Canberra, a relatively small town, you know, we didn't see um, we, we didn't see uh, world-changing kind of ideas being implemented all of the time. Don't get me wrong; there were many things that were like Wi-Fi and some great uh, entrepreneurs and, and doctors there who have changed the world, but you didn't see it often growing up,
2: and mm. uh, and so. You have to break that cycle, I think, as well. And yeah, she she was
1: one of the rare people that were able, were just kind of able to trust in her intuition. Something drove her, something propelled her um, into a land that she had never seen, wasn't exposed to, um, and somehow she made it. And and look, I would I would love to love to say that it's the same thing that drives me, and when we look at healthcare, absolutely, you know, it's the same thing that. It, literally runs through my veins that you know we feel that we can take this to a, a, a better place and, and mm. we can reimagine this if we work hard and uh and, and and put doctors at the center of it and put patients at the center of it.
0: Mm. i love it i mean i think that to me is just the, the huge takeaway from this is, is 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 how do you imagine a future that isn't just determined by your current experience or your past experience and i think it's so relevant you know, the, the, the audience here is doctors. But if you think about doctors at the moment, you know, 50% are in burnout, one in two. And, and the, the ones who aren't actually in burnout, the majority of them are struggling. You know, it's just, and, and if we look to our current experience, if we look to our current models, um, you know, from an individual perspective, you know, incremental improvements often aren't going to be good and aren't going to be enough. If we look from a model perspective, incremental improvements to the health system. Are not enough. If you have a system that's burning out half of your half of your workforce, there's a fundamental problem for that. And 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 you know looking so so looking for evolution is is not enough. And and I think you know that that's you know, or you know a, a doctor in general practice, you know who might be you know a registrar about to you know about to get their ticket, um, or you know someone who's been working it for a while. You know if you look to what's going on around you, um, you'll end up doing what you know what everyone else is doing you know whether that's running your own practice you know and and that might be perfect for someone but they might also find that you know if we look at the evidence um uh, the research shows that that's an incredibly stressful place for a a doctor to be you know they get huge amounts of paperwork it's the number one stress of of gps um or you might end up going to work for one of the big you know um practice networks and again feeling like a cog in the system you might not you might love that you know it might be right for people but for a certain amount of people, it might be how do you reimagine a, a different future? You know, maybe you know working with you know a next practice that might be a way to actually, I guess uh, you know create that opportunity for people. Um, but I think you know, to me coming back to it, you know, if we if we we are all like that. We can all be like that little girl in the slums, can't we? We can all set our, set our sights on, um, on on what we see as opposed to what's possible. And and we live in a world where you know literally anything's possible most, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and, and, and I completely agree. And I think that the thing about burnout, of which I've, I've definitely you know come to uh, come to blows with burnout a couple of times in my career. Um, I think it's I think it, if it doesn't say it says one thing. If you if you burn out, then it means at least you were passionate about it at some point in your life. Yeah, you know. I mean, there's there's um, there's people out there who never burn out, and I always kind of wonder if they were ever passionate about
0: <laughs> different way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, and, and I, that, I think that um, absolutely, you know, working um, within a system um, that that you don't agree with and you feel powerless to change can definitely kind of accelerate burnout, in my opinion. You know, um, you know, doctors. Um, we weren't given the skills of the, 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 I think I have kind of regaled this analogy, but you know, I, I caught a plane most recently and the most important person on that plane was the pilot who was able to navigate through kind of some pretty turbulent kind of weather to kind of land a plane and all of the hundred odd people on the plane safely on the tarmac. But then, you know, on the journey there were people who served as tea and, and there were people who baggage in and baggage out and, and kind of ushered the plane in kind of safely and there were kind of ground crew and there were so many people, it was a constellation of people. Um, and then there were cleaners in the airport and there were people, you know, printing out the tickets, all those kinds of things. And I always thought to myself, you know, I wonder what this experience would be like if the pilot ran the airport.
2: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: And the thing is, yeah, that, 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 that could be a position that doctors are thrust into. Right, where, where the pilots are running the airport. And many times it works out really well. But the truth is we didn't learn how to run airports. You know? Many of us can kind of fumble you know, our way through it and, and, uh, and, and feel our way through the darkness. But um, really there is, there is a craft that actually, uh, that is having an idea, making it real, that having it adopted by other people. And it allows you to kind of run an airport. And I think the best run airports are the ones where you know there is a lot of pilot input right so it's a it's a great place for planes to land safely and take off um and, and also someone can run an airport you know not either one and i think that that's a world we're about to kind of enter into right because you know there, there are many engineers that um that think that doctors are kind of irrelevant and and know can't wait for them to kind of get out of the way so basically you know, our, our code can you know, cure and diagnose patients. That's crap, completely crap. And, 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 and they are making moves to kind of, you know, to change the world. But, you know, I hope that the that, that doctors can um, learn these twin skills uh, so they might actually, you know, breed life into their own visions. And if compelling enough, then people live with it is. Um, and we don't have to always live in the walls that were kind of made for us um, by other people, by, uh, by other corporations, or by dogmatic systems that were invented in a time where there were no mobile phones. Yeah. Yep. It a time where we were all trying to just basically deal with infectious disease. Right yep. now, we're dealing with other problems and chronic illnesses that plague our society. So, yeah, I, I can I talk about that all day.
0: I, I know you can. I, I, love, I love the perspective of if you burn out, it means you're passionate about something. And I think, you know, doctors can relate to that. Entrepreneurs can relate to that. I mean, I've been through burnout. You talked about your, your experience too. Um, you know, doctors, doctors are people who are passionate about something. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I attacked business um, in the way that I, you know, I practice medicine, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and that led to burnout for me. But but I tried to make some changes to actually manage that, um, which I did. How how do you manage? You've got a lot going on, and you know, business world, philanthropy. Um, you know, you've got a lot going on. How do you manage it personally, so that you know, Sam Prince at the end of the day isn't just chewed up and spit out the, the other side?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it does happen. the The, the thing is, kind of back to my mother's story. Like, while she could never imagine a life where Yes, you have many many degrees and a, and a PhD and, and, and you know living in Canberra right and yeah <laughs> uh, you know, I also couldn't imagine a, a world where we've got you know thousands of stuff it's not just me and you know a small band of people now it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a large organization and um, and and that doesn't bear on you I think you never really as you know you never really switch off um, and, and so, burnout, I feel like, is just kind of hand in glove with this job, right? And I think that, um, for me, it's um, trying to identify and diagnose it really early, be super open about kind of talking to my, kind uh, the media team around me and saying, hey, look, guys, um, I'm feeling burnt out, and, and naming it, right? And, uh, and, and, and then it is kind of, I don't really see this game as a marathon. Like I, everyone talks about life being a marathon. I don't. I actually see it as a series of short sprints, mm-hmm. right, recovery. Yeah. And so um, I, I, I don't know if I completely, you know, lived that way for the first 10 years of my entrepreneurial career. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you're a six foot six lad, right? So always regaling with basketball kind of analogies, right? But yeah, I, I, I'm 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 loving LeBron James in basketball and Tom Brady and Federer because these guys have played many seasons and they're still at peak performance. And I, I look at my job at no differently. I think it's a it's a, it's a sport, and um, how do you stay at a peak peak performance? It, it's 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 not. Um, I hope I'm not offending here, but it's not a Kobe Bryant. I don't want a Kobe Bryant type of career. I don't want kind of slugging it out, you know, absolutely um, injuring myself and playing kind of um, with with a limp, right, or a broken finger. Yeah, Uh, I think entrepreneurialism um, or the 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 world of having ideas and making them real, having them adopted, um, is a game where the injuries are things like probably betrayal and, and. and um, you know, obviously, like you know, misfortune and other things, but but it's it's a world where you have to recover quickly, um, and you know, and 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 fix those problems, and then get back into it. Rather than that. That, that's personally the career I want. I want the I want a LeBron James, Federer kind of um, you know Tom Brady type of career where you know they don't look like they're really signed out. <laughs> yeah should be, um, but they, they, they realise that they need to recover. And so that's how I look at
2: burnout.
0: Yeah, right, it's just, it's something to manage, it's something to be aware of, note when it's happening, and, and make, you know, make changes, adjust course.
1: Yeah, but this is my, my like, 13th year, this, or 13th season, um, and you know, I think if, if you talk to me in the first five years, there'd be all this machismo of not sleeping and, you know, don't have time to burn out and that kind of thing. You burn out with the luxury. I've definitely said that before. Yeah. Um, but I, I think now um, there is, you, you play a different game, right? You, you start to play the pass the ball more, you know, and, yeah. and you learn to avoid injuries and, and so you can have um, a longer time in your peak. It's yeah. how I look.
2: Yeah,
0: right. I think something that sometimes doctors struggle with is actually admitting there's a problem. Um, you know, what, what was it? I mean, you, you said, you, you know, you engage your team, you tell people if you're feeling burnt out, um, but you weren't always like that. What shifted for you to, to, to be able to do that?
1: Um, look, I think that it, it is actually harder to run a small business, in my opinion, when you've got, you know, Ten, twenty people, something like that. It's, it's, it's. You end up doing kind of everything. Yeah. more um, people, and it, it's, it's kind of like you know being in an ICU or an ED department in a country, right? And and are your short staff. Burnout's not really an option. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's. Like you still have to go to work. You know. Um, and I think that's a similar analogy in, in small business. Um, when you get um, when, when, when our business actually started to kind of grow I could actually build in some contingency so my role would, was replaced by about four other people um, and, and then I was kind of uh, I was doing more strategy and a few other things um, around kind of insights uh, so for, for me um, that, that has changed um, a lot and so I've dealt I've talked to this group of people who've effectively replaced me and said, you know, um, this is who I am, right? I'm, 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 uh, I've got strengths and I have weaknesses, and um, my role is just to kind of identify quickly and then act um, good, clean, sharp decisions every day um, and to stay at peak performance. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, I've found some of them, the, more, the more I can focus on the things I'm good at and enjoy and, and have other people do the things I'm not good at or you know, I don't enjoy that they do, the happier I am, the better I am, the less burnt out I've been. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Simple as that. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Sam, if you could go back to your 18 year old self and give yourself three pieces of advice, um, yep. what would they be?
1: Um, I would, from the first, the first one, I would say is that, uh, that really life is, is um, it's a bit long, but uh, it's a bit like a compass, like a compass where you've got, you know, a compass is a little magnetic needle, which kind of aligns itself to the Earth's earth's kind of north and south. Mm. And so magnetic two forces at play all the time. Um, and there's a these two forces that are similar to life where you have um, your lived values, the, the values you actually live your life by, and then your aspired values, the, the values that you, um, yep. actually aspire to live your life by. And when you can align the two, then you'll point north. And yep. so, my advice to my 18 year old self is to kind of work out those aspire values and live values and, and keep an eye on them and calibrate often, mm. um, knowing that just like a magnet, that there are certain electrical fields, there's certain people, there's certain egos, there's certain situations that kind of mess up your compass. Mm. And so, you know, calibrate, um, uh, calibrate all the time. Mm.
0: Um, there's, a, so I, there's a saying, um, hell on earth would be to meet the person you could have been. And yeah. uh, very much like, you know, there's there's who you could be, who you are being. The more you can close that delta, um, the yeah. more you can be living, I guess, on song.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my version of hell, is, to continue you know, that first piece, is, is that, on the last day on this planet, I think I told you this. It resonated with you. The last day on this planet, that you know, the person um, that, that uh, uh, I could have became, I could have become, meets the person that I, that I, I became. Right? But that that, that that basically is the worst thing that I could happen to me. I'm yeah. in hell. Um, the second piece of advice would would be. Um, to that 18, so I'm, I'm kind of seeing this little 18 year old kid. Are you still there?
0: Yeah, something's happened. I know we're back.
2: Okay, so, know.
1: Yeah, sorry, back to second piece of advice to that kid, um, would be actually the things that you're probably most ashamed of um, are actually probably the things that make you most beautiful. Mm. Um, and, so, and so some of the things, uh, our family—we grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in in in, in Canberra. But, you know, we we went to great lengths to try and keep up appearances and go, Yeah, we'll totally go to backyard and we, you know, we go to we go to holidays every 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 year, just like everyone else. And and things did improve, but you know, I think now I look back on that and I think that was a great um, a great place to kind of live and understand the world. So that would be my second. Yeah. Um, and. Um, my, my third would be sleep ball. It really would be. A, I had so much sleep machismo. Um, like, I, it, was, it was ridiculous. And um, I was uh, reminded of, these, of some of the interviews I've done in the past when I was kind of in my early, mid-twenties. And I would just brag about <laughs> how long I slept. And I just kind of look back and I cringe now. So I'd tell that 18-year-old to... Yeah, I've, I've just turned
0: forty, and you, you look back on that, and you, you, it is cringeworthy sometimes how you behave in your twenties, isn't it? But you know, but it's part of that passage, isn't it? It is what it is at the time, and somebody, <laughs> you just got to learn them yourself.
1: It's going to be like, you know, really is going to be like, you know, the, the people praying about how many cigarettes they smoke. You know, <laughs> I feel like that's where we headed. So yeah. yeah, that
0: would be. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Look, Sam, I mean, I, I, this has been fantastic. And, and I've loved, you know, I always love speaking with you and exploring ideas with you. Um, I think, you know, I can see a lot of your mother and you in terms of that imagining a different future, not based on the, the, the current. You know, I mean, if, if anything you'd want to finish with? Any, I mean, you, there's a bunch of doctors listening. Anything that you'd want to, I guess, share with them?
1: Um, yeah, look, I'm probably want to share... You know, I don't have kids yet, but at some point I, I will. And, and, you know, my son or daughter um, is going to say to me, you know, Dad, you know, you, you were a doctor, right? Just when everything was changing, just mm-hmm. when we went from this antiquated system mm-hmm. um, and everything changed, you know, the genetic revolution a technology revolution, in All these things happen. And um so what were you doing? What were you doing when all of that changed? And I don't want to say to my son, I would say son, I was I was rolling burritos, you know? Yeah. I will say, hey your dad had some ideas um and and he had the courage to live out his best thoughts. He mm. he, he he got in there and and, and he did some, some cool stuff. And some of that endures and, and will have legacy. So I would say to to the doctors um, to who are watching, this is a, it's a really interesting time in medicine right now. Great time. And, and, uh, and, and, and think about what your
0: legacy will be. Oh, I so agree on so many levels. I mean, on, on the actual medical front as well, as you say, with genetics and um, you know, AI and how we're we going to use that as doctors, but, but even, you know, what I, I, I get excited about the well-being side as well. I mean, doctors are struggling at the moment, but we're at a tipping point. We're going to change, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, at least, um, you know, and some people might say, you know, there's certain things being done that, you know, starting to pay lip service to, uh, to wellbeing, but at least we're paying lip service. It's, it's a step in the right direction. You know, Last year, we got the, uh, the World Medical Association to change the declaration in Geneva to include the modern-day, you know, the modern-day hypocrite, to include the health and well-being of doctors. Like, we are at this point where we're medicine, but not just the medicine we're practicing. How we're doing it, how we're looking after each other as colleagues is going to change too. And I just think it's an exciting time for, for those who want to, you know, take that step forward and, and, and imagine something different. Yeah. Well, brother, I'm
1: really looking forward to kind of uh, painting a new future with you.
0: Absolutely, mate. Look, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I'm sure anyone listening has got huge value uh, on multiple fronts. You know, for me, that big takeaway is is that lesson from your mother and imagining a future not based on your, on your current and uh, and just just being at that you know that exciting you know point where we get to step forward into something uh, something new, something better for us, for our colleagues, for our patients. So, Sam, thank you for your time, mate. It's uh, always a pleasure.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Talk again soon.